The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. The Bible says in Psalms 104 verse 33, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being, while I have life. The psalmist says, I'm going to sing unto the Lord. Verse 34, my meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let's pray. Then pastor is going to bring a message, our thoughts about God. Once again, welcome to Ambassador Baptist Church. It's so good to have each and every one of you worshiping here with us this morning. Uh, as we've been saying for several weeks, we're now in a series entitled, What's on Your Mind? And uh, too many Christians attempt to change their behaviors and their actions without changing their thoughts and beliefs regarding those specific actions and behaviors. And as we've been saying, this will never work. It's an exercise in futility. And uh, one of the reasons we know this is because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 12 that we are transformed. We are literally changed by what the Bible calls the renewing of our minds. And uh, we've been talking about the fact that changing our thoughts really is one of the secrets to changing our lives. And yet the reality is most Christians don't think about what they, can you fill in the blank? Think about, yeah. Most Christians don't think about what it is that they think about. And today, we're going to spend some time looking at our thoughts about God. Uh, We've spent some time looking at our thoughts about ourselves, who Christ and God's Word says that we are. Uh, We've taken some time to look at our thoughts about others. How, How do we think about those that come into our lives? We've had the opportunity to talk about our general thoughts about life and problems and conflict and Today we're going to spend some time looking at the subject of our thoughts about God. It was the insightful theologian A.W. Tozier, some of you uh, have read some of his books in pursuit of God, among many others. He said this in one of his books, he said, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I had to ponder that for a moment. What comes to our minds when we think about God truly is the most important thing about us. He went on to say, nothing influences our behavior more than the thoughts we hold in our mind about God. So this morning, I want you to notice two vital actions that we're going to see here in our text that we must take in regards to our thoughts about God if we're going to have a proper world view, all right? So inside your service program that you should have received on your way in, we'll start through our Bible study here this morning. Psalms chapter number 139, verses uh, 17 and 18 says this. It says, how precious also are the th- thy thoughts Unto me. Now, notice this. As we have been talking about our thoughts and our thoughts about God, this passage reverses it. It says, How precious also are thy thoughts to me, or we might say, towards me, O God. How great is the sum of them. I I love the analogy, the metaphor that the psalmist goes to in verse number 18. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sands when I awake. I am still with thee. The metaphor the psalmist says is literally God's loving, his thoughtful, and his caring thoughts toward you are literally more than the sands of the sea. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to count the grains of sand on a seashore. 
But the reality is, it would be an exercise in futility, to say the least. It's impossible. And that's the visual picture that the psalmist is trying to paint for us. That God's thoughts toward you are innumerable. They can't be counted. His thoughts towards you are abundant in nature. It was the famous preacher of the 19th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who said this, God's thoughts of you are many. Let not your thoughts of Him be few in return. So notice our text here. Let's just dive into verse number 33. Notice what it says here. It says, I'll sing. Notice this, unto the Lord. He goes on to talk about later. I'll praise my God. He goes on to say, I'll meditate on Him. He goes on to say further, I'll be glad in the Lord. Literally, he's saying, I'll enjoy God. You see, the psalmist recognized that God's thoughts toward him were so abundant. That God's thoughts toward him were so great. That God's thoughts toward him were so wondrous. That the least he could do in return, the least he could do in response, is praise and meditate and enjoy the very near, real presence of God. Which brings us to our first thought from this passage this morning, and that is this. We must, one, direct our focus towards God. We must direct our focus towards God. You have a service program. You can jot in the blanks as we move through our Bible study this morning. But I want you to see how vital it is that we direct our focus towards God. We live in a day and age where there is a plethora of things that are going to attempt to distract you from focusing and meditating and fixating and obsessing on the God of the universe. We'll get distracted with work. We'll find ourselves distracted with the, uh, you know, hobbies that we have in our lives. It's so easy to get distracted by the trials and the problems and the difficulties. And there will be a thousand things smaller and less important than the God of the universe for us to kind of fixate and focus and move our direction toward. And yet that doesn't change the reality that as mere human beings, it's vital if we are going to maintain a proper biblical worldview that we are regularly and consistently redirecting our focus back toward the God of the universe, the creator of all that there is, the sustainer of life, the giver of breath, that we make Him our sole focus, that we allow the energy of our mind and our attention and our awareness and our consciousness be fixed on Him and Him alone because He is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of all attention. He is worthy of all consciousness. He is worthy of all focus. He is worthy. And yet we live in a world where the world, the flesh, the enemy is going to try to distract us with a thousand things smaller than God. And the psalmist here is saying, let's direct our focus towards God. You say, why? Why is it so important? Because nothing influences our behavior more than the thoughts we hold in our mind about God. A.W. Tozier. In this passage, you're going to see a few, if you want to call it a practical list, that the psalmist gives that will help us to redirect our attention back toward the Lord. So let me share with you what this passage speaks of here. Notice he says this. He says, I'll sing unto the Lord. I'll sing. If you want to jot down there in your notes some practical ways we can 
redirect our focus and our attention towards God is through Christ-focused worship and praise. Can I encourage you to make God-centered worship music a part of your life? You say, I'm just not really into Christian music. I'm not really into music, uh, you know, that you sing at church. I mean, it's good for church, but... And I want to encourage you with this. It might be that you want to put into your daily life on a more regular basis music that turns your attention back toward God. You say, well, I, I prefer this type of music or that type of music, and I'm not here to preach a message on type of music to listen to. I'm here to simply say one of the practical elements that the God of the universe gives us to keep our attention and our focus fixed on God is God-centered music in our lives. Is there music a part of your lives that causes you to get a bigger view of God? Are you regular listening to music that causes your heart to, to move in wonder and awe and majesty toward all that God is? All that God has done, all that God is for you, all that Christ is in you, is this type of music a regular part of your life? Because if you're trying to redirect your attention toward Him, if you're trying to get to a place where you direct your focus towards God on a more regular basis, worship music and God-centered music is something that can be utilized to help us fix our attention toward God. You say, well, I I don't necessarily like this style of music or I don't necessarily like that style of music. Can I just simply say this? Then find a style of music that you resonate with and allow that music to fix your heart toward the things of God and get a big view of God and get a big focus on God and fix your heart on him and him alone notice secondly it says here in this passage he says he says I'll praise my God and I want to encourage you with this to bring conscious gratitude toward God that on a regular basis you are literally with your words you're praising and you're thanking and you're giving gratitude toward the God of the universe the Bible tells us in the New Testament and everything give thanks the psalmist is saying how do we direct our focus towards god we can do it through singing we can do it through thanksgiving we can do it through gratitude by regularly thanking god for what he's done in our lives and that means if you're at work and you're on the keyboard that you're doing that with a a little heart literally a backdrop in your mind that says i'm so thankful god's given me a mind that's sharp enough to be able to do this job I'm so thankful that God's given me the physical capacity to be able to move my arms and my legs. And the backdrop of what you are doing is literally a sense of gratitude, a sense of thankfulness, a sense of praise for what God's doing. Why? To direct our focus back towards God. That gratitude becomes the lens through which we see the life in which God has imparted to us. If we find ourselves washing the dishes, thanking God for the gift of water and thanking God for the ability to have dishes and to own these things if we find ourselves in a position where we're maybe with our children and they're kind of maybe driving us nuts that we would say thank God for this opportunity for this gift to steward and to invest into the next generation and regularly giving God thanks for what he allows by his sovereignty into your life. Christ-focused worship, conscious gratitude toward God. Notice what he says in verse 34, my meditation of him. 
shall be sweet. Thirdly, I want to encourage you to meditate on God. As you're driving down the road, you say, well, it's easier to think about work. It's easier to think about that person who annoys me. It's easier to think about all the things I want to buy. It's easier to think about, you know, dreams and goals. And, and, and there's a place for some of that. But I want to say this. Create margin. Create white space in your life where you can simply hold a thought of God close and dear. How do you do at holding thoughts of God in your mind? How long can you go with just thinking about nothing other than just God? Sometimes for me it helps to go outside on a dark night and look up when the sky is really clear, when the stars are just kind of beaming down in all of their radiance and you see the vast sky spread out in front of you. And in that moment to look up and allow that moment to be a catalyst that allows you to just get a big, wondrous, majestic view of all who God is. And just allow for a minute or two minutes or three minutes to hold that thought of God in your mind. Can I say this is so important? That you are regularly renewing your mind. That you're regularly rewiring your mind by holding big, glorious, wondrous, majestic thoughts of who God is, His character, His work, His love for you, and to hold that big, glorious thought and hold that in your mind for a few moments. Just let it, just let it sit there. Just let it rest there for a moment. In a day and age where society is trying to get you to think about this and think about that and we're busy here and we're busy there and our minds, it's not just our bodies rushing, it's not just our schedules rushing, literally our minds are rushed, our thoughts are hurried and we don't just take time to be still and know that he, he's God. Allow that thought to just be held in your mind. The God who with His very Word could speak this world and the universe into His existence. If you read Genesis chapter number 1, it says, and the stars who created also. Like as if it was an afterthought. As if God was like, oh yeah, by the way, let me just create a few billion stars. That's nothing to me. And let that big, awesome, majestic, wondrous view of God be held in your mind for moments and then minutes. How do you do it just holding glorious and grand thoughts of God in your mind? You say, well, I'm a little ADD. I get distracted by this and I get distracted by that. That's what I'm saying. How do you create the white space in your life to redirect your focus toward God, to simply meditate on Him? He says, my meditations of Him, they're sweet. They're enjoyable. Just meditating on who He is. Meditating on His character. Meditating on his attributes. Meditating on his essence. 
allowing who He is to root itself in your mind. To allow the fact that He is majestic and He is powerful and He is wondrous and He is sovereign. Just allow those thoughts to sink deeper. Allow those thoughts to get entrenched in your mind. Hold those thoughts for as long as you can in your awareness and in your consciousness and in your focus. Why? Because it's so important that we allow our understanding of who God is to literally rewire how our brain interacts with the world around us. Sing. To allow our emotional state just to be wrapped up in how glorious and incredible and awesome our God really is. To connect with Him on an emotional level. To praise literally with our words. To thank Him with our emotions singing to Him, with our mind focused on Him. You see the holistic picture here. That with our words and with our emotions and with our minds and with our essence and our being, we're redirecting, we're refocusing, we're reholding a fresh and anew, a big and grand and glorious view of God in our awareness, in our consciousness, in our minds. You say, well, Why is this so important? Because nothing, nothing influences our behavior more than the thoughts we hold in our mind about God. A.W. Tozer. We see Christ's focus, worship, conscious gratitude toward God, meditation on God. Notice what else it says here in verse this, this passage. My meditation of Him shall be sweet. Notice this, I would be glad in the Lord, in Him, in His presence. I'd be glad in Him. I want to say next, just simply enjoying His presence. Uh, 500 years ago, a book was written called Practicing the Presence of God by a man by the name of Brother Lawrence. Some people call it practicing the presence of God. Some say enjoying the presence of God. But whatever you want to call it, literally, not just with your mind meditating, not just with your words thanking, not just with your uh, motion singing, but literally with your entire being enjoying Him, enjoying His presence, enjoying your time with God. You see, we're talking about directing our focus towards God, directing our focus toward the Creator. These are four things that are mentioned in our specific passage. I I could go on and give you some other practical things that the Word of God teaches about how to redirect our focus toward God. We could go to passages that encourage us to read and study God's Word. 1 Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. To redirect our focus towards God by allowing His Word to saturate our hearts, our minds, and our soul. To not just read it like we're reading a novel, but study it and allow its thoughts, to allow its words to saturate deep into our consciousness, deep into our thinking, deep even into our subconscious, and allowing God's Word to literally renew our lives. One author said, the more you read the Bible, the more likely you'll be to love the author. 
reading and studying the Bible. I would say this, scripture memory. The psalmist tells us, thy word have I hidden my heart. We're talking about redirecting our focus towards God. What are some practical, functional ways that this can take place? It can take place through singing. It can take place through meditation. It can take place through gratitude. It can take place by just basking and enjoying the very real, near presence of the God of the universe. It can take place as we saturate our hearts and minds in the Word of God. It can take place through Scripture memorization. Can I say this? It's not just so we can memorize a verse and tell somebody how good we have it and how good we are at memorizing this. Can I can I remind you that oftentimes the value in meditating and memorizing scripture is not so you'll have it for later but what God does in your head while you're memorizing it it's rewiring it's reshaping it's renewing your mind directing our attention on him We could go to Ephesians 1 and talk about how we can direct our focus towards God through what we sometimes will refer to as good news affirmations. You read Ephesians chapter number 1 and look at all the ways that the Apostle Paul reminds us of who we now are in Christ. They're literally spiritual affirmations of our new identity in Christ. And sometimes we just need to get into the presence of God and we need to allow His Word and we need to allow who He tells us that we are to renew our thinking. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil our past experiences and our problems. People around us are going to try to tell us who we are and we need to allow God and his word to define who we are now as new creatures in Christ and Ephesians will tell us that we are affirmed and that we are loved and that we are adopted and that we are redeemed and we need to allow these good news gospel affirmations to renew our thinking day by day to direct our focus towards God We could talk about attendance to a local church assembly. Hebrews talks about forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. I know we live in a day and age where people want to downplay the local congregation of the church. And yet the reality is, as you study the New Testament, God holds in high regard a local, visible assembly of Christian believers. And in a day and age that only wants to talk about the invisible, universal church, the Bible puts the emphasis on the very local, tangible, visible gathering together of God's people in a very specific location and he says here forsake it not assemble well I'm not really a people person then you probably need it even more (laughs) of all the references to the church in the New Testament only two speak of the universal expression All 98% talk about the local, visible, tangible assembly of believers in a a singular location. I'm all about getting out there and being the church. You You hear me talking about that. But that does not negate what God says about going to church. You say, how do we read or direct our focus towards God? The word... We could go to Proverbs and be reminded about getting counsel that aligns with God's word. I'm so thankful for a church 
that looks for opportunities to get counsel from people around them. I, I had the opportunity of getting with a couple here even yesterday, and I'm so glad that their heart coming into the meeting was not, here's what we're doing, pastor. By the way, we thought we'd ask you about it. What are your thoughts? No, it was coming in. Here's, here's kind of an opportunity. Here's what we're praying about. What are your thoughts? I'm not God. I don't know what God holds for their future. I gave some thoughts. I gave a perspective. But it's a wise thing for people to come along and, and to get counsel that allows them to redirect their focus, not just on their desires or their wants or what seems to make sense, but through godly counsel, biblical counsel, scriptural counsel, use that opportunity as another, another chance just to direct our focus toward God. So notice what our text here says. First of all, we see we need to direct our focus towards God. But let's get back to our text. Notice what it, notice what it says here. I will sing unto the Lord. Notice this. As long as I live... Let's keep reading. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Do you, know, do you see, catch these little, I think they call them prepositions? <laughs> what, what is he saying here? Our text is saying again and again, as long as I live, this is going to be my heart. As long as I have being, this is going to be my desire. Which brings us here to our final thought from this passage, and that is simply this. Not only do we need to, as human beings, direct our focus towards God, but secondly, we must keep our focus on God. Keep our focus on God. Because as you know as well as I do, that in the world in which we live, there are a thousand things less important than Jesus that are going to vie for our attention every single day. And so it's one thing to direct our attention and redirect our attention towards God, but it's a whole other thing to keep our focus on God. It's easy to keep our focus on God when we're in church. It might be a little bit easier to keep our focus on God while we're in the Word. It might be easier to keep our focus on God while we're worshiping Him in song. But how do we keep our focus on God when we get the bad news? How do we keep our focus on God when all of a sudden we get that, that, that announcement from our boss that there's going to be downsizing? How do we keep our focus on God when we get the phone call from a child and they give us that heartbreaking news? How do we keep our focus on God when we get the email from the doctor that tells us the tests didn't quite go the way we had anticipated or hoped? It's one thing to direct our focus on God. It's an entirely other thing to keep our focus on God in the midst of trial and tribulation and brokenness and in pain with obstacles and challenges looming at every corner. It's one thing to direct the attention, but how does a finite human being keep their focus and keep their attention on God in the midst of the dark seasons of life? Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 6, says it this way. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, notice this, and that he is a rewarder of them that, here's the key word, diligently seek him. 
God's presence is always close. His presence is always near. But there are many who are not fully experiencing the presence of where he's at. God has never left you nor forsaken you. He is not far from you. But there are some who don't fully experience him because they're not diligently seeking him. He's as close as he ever was, but they've, they've allowed their attention to be directed toward lesser things and smaller things, things that have no hope of giving them joy, things that have no hope of giving them peace, things that have no hope of filling their heart with love. Why? They've looked to lesser things. They've gotten their eyes off of Jesus and they've put their eyes on the things of this world. And I'm here to remind you that to experience his presence, to be fully aware of who he is. It takes a Christian who is diligently seeking him, who is reminded that God has done so much for me. I so desire to seek him, to know him, to experience him afresh and anew every single day, to know him. You see, we experience grace. We experience this divine strength. We call it grace. We experience grace as we spend time in the presence of God, fixated and focused on Him. John chapter number 15 calls it abiding in Him. This is where we get the connection to His grace. His grace is always available. His strength is always yours for the taking. You can always have peace regardless of what you're going through. You can always experience joy regardless of the circumstances. But you don't appropriate it. You don't experience it. You don't know it firsthand if you're not abiding. If you're not diligently seeking Him. It's yours. But you won't experience it unless you're abiding in His presence. Can I say this? I think this might even be on the screens. But a person can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for this next six months. Let that sink in for a moment. Nobody is going to go home today, have lunch, and think, I don't need to eat again for the next six months. Even if it were physically possible for you to eat six months worth of nourishment, it still wouldn't allow you to go the next six months without eating. And a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months, nor can he inhale sufficient air into his lungs with one breath to sustain life for a week to come. We are permitted to draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we need it, as in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day. Give us this day our daily bread. We have too many Christians running around and they want to get their fix of grace for the next month. And so they'll show up to church every three or four weeks. I understand schedule. I understand work. They only crack open a Bible every month. They only meditate on God yearly. It's such a sporadic thing. And then they wonder how come they don't have the grace? How come they don't have the strength? Where did the joy go? Where did the peace go? Why am I not experiencing God's love? Because you are not abiding 
in the presence, in the essence of that love. God does not just exude love. He does not just give love. He is the essence of love itself. And to reject God, to not spend time with God, is to reject the essence of love itself. It is to reject the essence of peace itself. There is no peace without the presence of God. There is no joy outside of the presence of God. You want to abound in that joy. You want to flourish in that peace. Then you must flourish in his presence. You want the blessing without the blesser. You want the gift without the giver. And it doesn't exist, my friend. You want the peace without the one who gives the peace. You want want to take the joy without spending time in the presence of the joy giver. It is a dichotomy that does not exist. To abide in his presence is to abide in love. To experience him is to experience joy. To dwell with him is to dwell in peace. You cannot separate the two from the other. And to try to do so, as so many people in the world try to do, will leave you every single time hopeless and in despair. Because you will look to a thousand things smaller than his presence to give you joy. And so you have to get the next rung on the ladder in your career. You have to get your spouse to act a certain way. You've got to get your children to behave a certain way because without that, you can't have peace. And without that gift or without that possession or without that promotion or without these other things, you can't experience joy and peace. And I'm here to say say to you, you're looking in all the wrong places. Because you'll get to the next rung on the ladder. You'll buy that next possession. You'll get that next relationship. You'll get this individual to behave the way you want them to behave. And your flesh and your pride will simply find something else to get annoyed with. (laughs) Because you deceived yourself into thinking that peace was anchored to something going right. It's an illusion that doesn't exist. And so when that thing goes right and that relationship comes together and you get that new toy and you own that new possession, your flesh it consumes it in a moment, but then a second later, all of a sudden, you're looking for somebody else to get angry at and your flesh is looking for somebody else to get annoyed with because that's the nature of the flesh apart from the very real near presence of God. There is no peace and you're longing for it and you're looking for it and you can fix this person and fix those people and get that possession and get this job, then you'll have it. No! It's a lie. It is only in the presence of Jesus that you experience those things. Nothing more, nothing less. It's in Jesus. To try to have and experience God apart from experiencing his presence is an absolute exercise in futility. You see, nothing influences our behavior more than the thoughts we hold in our minds about God. What thoughts do you hold in your mind about God? This is why we must continually turn our focus and attention toward him because we can't hold on to grace for six months and 12 months. We can't hold on to strength for two years. Give us this day. This day, I've got to direct my attention toward God. 
This day I have to experience refresh. Pastor, you don't understand how busy I am. If you knew what work was like and you knew what my relationship was like and you knew how busy the kids were getting, I understand that we live in an extremely busy, busy, busy world. As John Wesley used to say, I'm so busy today that I must spend four hours with God today. The busier we get, the more vital it is that we abide and experience his presence afresh and anew. That we focus more diligently on focusing on him. You see, my friends, our biggest problems are anchored to an inadequate view of God. And I believe that with every ounce of my being. Your biggest problem is not your spouse. Your biggest problem is not that addiction. Your biggest problem is not that health concern. Your biggest problem is not these other people in the church. Your biggest problem is not your child. Your biggest problem is not how limited funds you have in a bank account. Your biggest problems don't lie in the face of your boss or in the inadequacies of a church. Your biggest problems lie in an inadequate view of the sovereignty of God. I don't know if we'll have this on the screens, but the human consciousness only has the capacity to hold a limited amount of focus on a particular subject matter. We're, we're, we're finite, right? Okay, I think we all understand this. We only have so much brain power. Some of you have more than others. A lot of you have more than me. The human consciousness only has the capacity, your brain only has the capacity to hold a limited amount of focus on a particular subject matter. Therefore, a small view of God, if you only give God a limited amount of your attention and focus and consciousness, it leaves room for a big view for your problems. Conversely, A big view of God, allowing God to take up a large portion of your consciousness, a large portion of your awareness, a large perspective of your understanding will lead to a small view of problems. If you have a big view of your marital problems or your family problems or your financial problems or your church problems or your career problems, all it's saying is that you have crowded it out, the big view of God. The answer to your problems is not to fix that person or to fix those people or to fix your boss or to fix... I'm not saying there's not a place to engage those things, but that's not the root of the problem. The root is you do not allow white space in your mind to hold a grandiose view of all that God is in the midst of your broken relationship. God is bigger. In the midst of your most devastating circumstances, God is stronger. In the midst of the turmoil that your soul is experiencing, God is more glorious in all of it. And if you don't hold in your mind and protect in your heart that grandiose, majestic, wondrous view of God, and you allow that to fleet away, mark it down. It will just be a matter of time till the problems and the brokenness of this world fill up the space in your consciousness, leaving you with hopelessness, despair, frustration, anger, because you have removed from your consciousness 
the essence of, those, of their antidotes. You have removed from your awareness the only hope that your heart has, and that's Jesus. You need Jesus, my friend. You say, I, I got him when I got saved. No, you need him today. You need to experience, like you experienced him on your salvation day, you need to experience Christ afresh and anew today to experience a fresh sense of who he is and to hold near and dear to your heart and mind a big, wonderful, glorious view of God so that there is not room to hold the problems and the cares and the brokenness that will attempt to crowd their way in to your thinking. This is once again why A.W. Tozer said the most influential thing on your behavior is the way in which you hold God. Nothing influences our behavior more than the thoughts we hold in our mind about God. Now, let me, let me just unpack this for just one, two minutes, and then we'll be done. He said as we hold in our minds. That is to say this. There are moments where we have to go to work and there are moments when we have to engage problems and there are moments when we have to interact with our spouse and with children who need discipline. But the question is, are you able to center yourself and hold in your consciousness that big, awesome view of God in the midst of that interaction? That is the discipline that Christians must master by His grace. That within those interactions with difficult people, as you engage frustrating children, as you talk to people who annoy the fire out of you, can you maintain, can you hold a huge view of God in the midst of that? As you're trying to work through a situation, can you hold a big view that God is sovereign, that God is in control? that you can trust God in the midst of that interaction? Or does the moment a problem come, all thought of God gets removed? Or does your big thoughts of God become the backdrop, the lens by which you see that situation? And so now you are engaging the situation through a lens that this person can do nothing that the Father has not allowed. This is big. My spouse can do nothing that a sovereign God has not filtered. Circumstances can do nothing to my life that a loving, compassionate, Abba, Heavenly Father wouldn't allow into my life for my ultimate good and His ultimate glory. Are you able to hold those grandiose thoughts of God in your consciousness, in your awareness, as you interact on a physical plane? That is the grace that we as believers so desperately need. To hold in our minds a grandiose view of God as we interact with children. To hold in our consciousness 
a, a sovereign view of God as we interact with circumstances that, are, that feel like they're getting the best of us. Nothing influences our behavior more than the thoughts we hold in our mind about God. My friends, when you fix your focus, when you fix your focus and life on God, God will fix your life. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.